Hey, good evening. Welcome back to another episode of 2216 Podcast. I'm joined here by Dave again. Today we're going to discuss manpower issues as it relates to specifically smaller departments. Uh, We're going to go over a few things that we face and a few ideas of how we get by it and see if that helps out. So to get started, Dave, thanks for being here again. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. Uh, so Dave, how's, how's the manpower shortage on your end? Uh, well, we're doing a little bit better. Um, we're in a rebuilding stage for our fire company and, uh, we're working on trying to get, you know, obviously you can't ever have too much manpower. Um, so we're trying, uh, you know, we, we've been fortunate where we're getting rigs out with uh, decent staffing, uh, you know, either full rig or pretty close to a full rig for every incident. Um, so it's been easier on that end. However, we've looked at a couple of ways, uh, especially daylight hours on how to, uh, how to work with, uh, shorter manpower. How about on your end, Greg? Yeah, we're kind of in the same boat. Um, daytime around here is, you know, practically non-existent. I know we've discussed it before, you know, the area that we're in, we don't have any businesses here. So everybody works out of town. So, a lot of times daytime, you know, it might be tough to get a crew out or, you know, get one out in a timely fashion. You're waiting for your guys that can leave work if they can leave work. Um, you know, aside from that, having whoever's home, you know, whether they're able to go or not and still have their personal life. So, and, you know, here, so we're trying to, and I think we've actually talked about this before as well, we're trying to roll out multiple pieces of apparatus so that kind of puts you into a stray with trying to get two or three drivers out to respond to an alarm. Sometimes that's not, you know, very easy. Right. right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we've, we, uh, we're fortunate kind of a little bit here where we have, uh, a lot of, uh, industry around us. However, not in our, our, uh, borough or township. Um, so a lot of our, daylight folks are third shifters so we are fortunate where we have third shifters that are able to take daylight calls and then anybody else that's around or available will assist um you know anybody that works daylight shift um you know obviously we we run the, the evening calls or the overnight calls that kind of stuff so it kind of works out it is when we are fortunate to have a daylight driver a daylight officer and a couple of daylight firefighters so that is nice but uh, uh as i was telling you before earlier um, before the podcast started, we've been really actively working on, uh, setting up riding assignments. Um, so that way, if we have a condensed crew, say we have four on the engine or four on the tanker, um, our, our people know what they need to do once we arrive on scene. So you may take a six man crew condensed to four men and, uh, you know, two or three people need to split their, uh, their duties once they arrive on scene. So they may be, uh, forceful entry and outside vent, or they may be hydrant and uh, back up on the nozzle, uh, nozzleman, you know, officer and nozzleman. So it could be a couple different, different things going on there. Right. Right. Yeah. Everybody seemed to be taken to it and getting to where they, they understand it. Uh, we're still working on it. Um, we actually just, uh, probably two weeks ago, we, we put it out to, to the members and said, all right, this is what we want to try to do. Um, so we're working through that. We're actively training to to understand what who does what and what seats mean what. Um, the nice part is, you know, if you're uh, 
pulling on the officer's side for the fire. Uh, the immediate seat behind the officer would be the nozzleman, and the seat directly across from them would be the uh, backup man, and vice versa if you're pulling it on the driver's side. So you can actually swap sides depending on which, uh, which side the fire is on once you pull in. So we've been training on, on either side. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah, that's something that's not really widely used up here in New York. Um, but I, I've seen videos and seen done a lot of research on that. You know, I heard the department's down by you. Obviously, everybody does that. It seems like that's kind of a good asset to go towards to start looking that way. Um, you know, because up here, same, same deal. We roll out of here. We might have, you know, three on the truck. We might have four on the truck. And like you say, when you're pulling up and trying to hit hydrants and trying to lay hose and whatever else you need to do, you know, especially during the day when you might be the only engine there for quite a few minutes, that that's a tough task. Yeah, and we take the model of every seat has an assignment, and then whatever seats don't have, if they're not filled, then uh, you know we we actively look at moving people in the back to, are right, you're going to do this job and this job, the officer's going to do this job and this job. Uh, for example, if we roll out with four, uh, six-man crew, the uh, the engine officer is going to assume the hydrant connection, at least wrap the hydrant, get back in and go. Um, that way, we're not pulling your interior guys out of the back to, to wrap the hydrant just to get back in again. So um, we're working actively at trying to, to like you know, uh, maximize our job abilities with minimal people. Right. Yeah, that's cool. It, it makes a lot of sense, honestly. You know, the problem that I see... And the problem that we have around here is we run a lot of mutual aid calls, so it's not quite as easy as setting it up saying, okay, we're going to get to this alarm and this is what you're going to do. Um, you know, or we're rolling into Wellsville and we might not know what we're doing until we get there. So we don't really have that time to prepare and, and get everything in order. Uh, but I also think that that's where, and I know you and I have talked about this before and we're kind of all in the same boat. Whenever anyone gets off the truck, make sure you have a tool in your hand. I think that saves a lot of time if you're going there prepared to work you can get thrown in a lot quicker no matter what the job is. Yeah. One of the things we work on around here is first arriving engine responsibility, second arriving engine, third arriving engine, fourth arriving engine, your uh, first do special service, your second do special service. Uh, you know, obviously tankers are tankers. So your first arriving engine, typically they're wrapping the hydrant, they're going in, they're going to put the fire out, right? So they're, you know what they're committed to do. Your second arriving engine is going to pick up the, the line for that engine and supply either via tanker shuttle or hydrant system, depending on where we're located and what borough or township we're in. Um, your third arriving is going to be basically your first arriving side C piece. Um, you're going to go out to side C, uh, make sure that you leave room for the truck, and they're going to go basically stretch secondary lines into the residence from the rear, um, if needed, obviously. And then your fourth due engine would be your your water supply engine for your third arriving. And then again, your first arriving special service would be your ladder, your first arriving ladder or rescue, depending on where you're located. Um, and uh, same with your, your second due special service, second arriving special service. Hmm. So. See, it's crazy to hear, you know, how you guys operate just four hours away compared to how we operate up here. Um, you know, up, up here we might have, you know, a working fire in, in Allentown, and yet we're calling, you know, full responses from Bolivar, Wellsville, and whatever. 
Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily set up who has what job when they come in. It's more up to your incident commander to establish who's going to be doing what, um, which is works in one way. But in another way, you know, like we've talked with daytime, it may not be even if you have an officer there, you may not even have an officer there. It might be your it might be your truck driver that's in charge for a while up here. Uh, and I don't know if that's just that's the difference between running in such a rural setting. And I mean, I know you're in a rural down there, but we're talking, you know, your nearest apartments are coming from just a few minutes away. We're here. We're looking at 15, 20 minutes just for a second company to come in. Right. And that's where you just need to adapt and overcome. So you need yeah. to understand, um, you know, growing up in Rowlett, um, we face the same same issues that you guys see. You know, we are waiting, uh, you know eight to 10 minutes for counter sport to arrive and, and also the same for Port Allegheny. So it's tactically from a, from that perspective as an incident officer, you have to determine how you're going to operate, you know, that fire scene based on what you have out the door. So if you have say Allentown one and Allentown seven out the door, you know, are you going to nurse until the next arriving engine gets there? Or are you going to dump and run? Um, and then are you going to lay out from there, you know, with your next arriving engine, there's a lot of things you have to keep in mind as an incident officer. And manpower is crucial because if you have, say, three on your engine when you first arrive, those three guys are going to be doing a lot of work, <laughs> you know, until the arrival of the next piece. Um, so it may be, you know, you may have five total personnel on scene and three of them going inside. Um, but those three that are going inside need to understand water consumption. They need to understand what jobs need to happen. You know, you may have two on the nozzle, one outside vent man that's going around and, uh, you know, opening up or, or, or anything along those lines or doing searches. Cause you know, I mean, your first arriving special service would be coming from Wellsville. If it's an Allentown box. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, you, you have to adapt and overcome with the amount of people you have and also the time it's going to take. You know, if you've reported entrapment and you have Allentown one on the street with four, you know, you're going to split your crew, you know, uh, with, uh, probably the officer doing searches and the other two doing, uh, you know, fire depression. So, all right. All right. Yeah. And that's, I've switched it up a little bit here. So we used to run, we used to always run, we'd run engine and tanker out first. Um, and I've kind of actually changed that now because we do have, we have four that we operate as a, as an engine on scene. Uh, Mm -hmm. so I've changed it now so that our manpower, we got one and four going on the road first tankers waiting to go all third do. Um, for the simple fact, I've got tankers added onto our box, so I've got tankers coming in. Uh, my my issue is is if I have my tanker on the road, that's fine and dandy, but I'll have a crew on there that I really need on scene for being shorthanded. You know, I don't want to have my interior personnel running tanker shuttle when I need them there fighting the fire because you know, let's face it, we're a lot lower on manpower as far as anyone running inside as opposed to right. someone just grabbing gears and driving the truck. Right. Um, you know, what's being said, and that's just, that's, that's how it works for us. Not saying that that's, you know, the right way to do it, but that's what's working well for us. Um, you know, this is all set, setting around that we're talking about structure fires, but let's talk about other incidents. You know, structure fires are kind of lower on the list as far as volume and how much we run there. Uh, we run a lot of EMS calls. We run a lot of, you know, other calls than that. And sometimes even crewing up for that can prove difficult at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean we've 
we see that a lot here. We run a lot of uh, EMS assists. Um, we run a lot of cardiac arrest calls as far as assisting EMS with cardiac arrest. We're automatically dispatched for any cardiac arrest call the EMS is dispatched to. So, um, you know, it, it is difficult. Uh, you know, daytime, we might get three for a cardiac arrest call or EMS assist, especially like a lift assist call. Um, and we may have to go and grab additional people to, to assist. Um, you know, uh, there's times depending on the, the day of the week and the situation, we may bring Wiccanisco in for a rescue, um, just to provide manpower to help get, you know, patients out of the third floors or the second floors. Um, and I, and where I live now it's it's coal country, right? So the building construction in this town is narrow staircases going from floor to floor. Um, duplex or row home type houses very close together or houses that are just large that are very close together with one another so the construction is very similar um to that of cities uh it's just difficult to to bring people down out of you know third floor second floor um our education process is a little different than what i was even used to when i moved here i gotcha so we may have to bring in additional resources to assist yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, if you're talking about, say, you have a 300-pound person up on the third floor and you're trying to bring them down a windy staircase, that one or having one or two people there, that, that's not going to cut it. Um, yep. And I, I don't know about down there, but up here we've got a lot of uh, members in the county that choose not to respond to EMS calls, which, you know, that's fine. I'm, I have no issues with that. But that decreases your manpower availability even even greater. Yep. So, the nice part about well, the nice part about Dauphin County is any class one medical call, if there's not an ambulance available, the fire department's automatically dispatched. Any cardiac arrest call, the fire department's automatically dispatched. It's not a we're a little different when we don't have an ambulance in our station. I know you guys are the same. Um, when I lived in Rowlett, we had an ambulance in our fire station, and uh, if we'd respond to a call and need additional personnel, we'd ask for a lifting assistance or anything along those lines, and they would come out. But one of the cool things were, um, because we did have an ambulance there, the expectation was as an officer or a firefighter or just a member in general, if the ambulance needed assistance, whether it was fire-related or not, the expectation was you responded to assist. Right. Right. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. You know, and we do the same thing here. We work with Wellsville Ambulance. They're not right in town, but we respond to all medical calls. Uh, but we have a standing working relationship with them. A lot of our members are members there as well, which works out great. You know, so they might run an ambulance out here and uh, they need assistance. So we're here for that. And we'll have guys actually ride in on the ambulances because, you know, it is EMS as well. They're they're low on manpower just like we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, behind the scenes things, everything, and we've, we've been talking about this pretty heavily, trying to get our stations up to what we consider to be par, getting the manpower to assist with doing that. That sometimes becomes one of the hardest tasks other than, you know, the actual responding to calls, but getting people around to help clean walls, clean floors, clean hose up, you know, put equipment away, whatever that sometimes proves to be some of the more difficult stuff, at least in my, my uh, experience. So I'm fortunate. Um, at least at this moment, we're in the rebuilding stage, as I said. Um, so our members are, are gung ho with getting everything. You know, I had, uh, as a matter of fact, just had a junior member, uh, Friday night, um, 
ask if he could wash the rigs. Um, we had the floor swept, the, the walls were clean, the, everything was cleaned out. We've, we've done, you know, gone above and beyond with trying to make sure that the station's clean and everything's been taken care of. Um, but I, I can't tell you how proud I am of the dedication of the, the firefighters that we have at the firehouse right now with, um, making sure that things are up to par, up to, up to snuff. And as a chief, it makes my job a lot easier knowing that we have people that are there daylight, um, even on the weekends that want to be there to, to, to make things better, to work on things. Um, an example of that would be today, um, you know, the, the deputy chief, uh, he, he basically put out a message and said, listen, we want to go drain the foam on the engine. We're going to do it today. You know, anybody that's interested, let me know. They wound up with eight guys going out to drain the foam off the engine. You know, you can't ask for anything better than that, especially as an officer. Um, so things are going, I think, in a good direction for us. Um, but like anything else, and I think this, and it goes right along with manpower is the interoperability of the, of the members, um, the ability to not have drama, not have fights, not have all this stuff. And that's a difficult part of the manpower issue. Yeah, no, you're right. Because once you spend all your time working, spend all your time taking care of things at home, you know, you already might be tired, but then you go to the fire station and you take, three or four people that are tired and already, you know, on edge and one wrong thing might be said. And, you know, that always starts that, that drama, we'll call it. Uh, but it sounds like you guys got things going in the right direction down there and kind of the same here. I, you know, I don't have any new members in here that are really gung ho. I do have a, I have a good group of active members that are still, that are still into it and still want to come around and help. But to a certain certain point, I, you know, I kind of feel a little bad because I'm asking a lot out of them, and but I, I don't really yeah, know how to get I think, that part. I, I think what helps is, and, and I'm an advocate for this. Um, if I'm there doing the work, it's a lot easier for uh, other people to do the work too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, when, the, when they see the chief out there pushing a broom around, or they see the deputy chief on top of the engine flowing water down into the tank you know, or the assistant chief out doing stuff. It's a lot easier, I think, to, um, to get people motivated and want to do it. Um, you know, and, and that was how I grew up. You know, I was never allowed to, if I saw an officer with a broom in their hand, whether it was a lieutenant through the chief, I was told to always get the broom from the officer. You know, from a manpower's perspective, it's changed a lot, I think, from even, you know, 20 years ago when I started to now. Um you know, that per perception has, has changed, but I will say there, we're starting to gain a little bit back. At least I think we are, um, across the board. There are some people that just have it in their blood to do it, whether it's a first time member or, um, that has no family history with the fire company or, you know, somebody that's been in for decades, you know, family, a family has been in for decades. I think that you see that there's good quality people and our, our generation's tough. Um, because my, my fear is, how long is this going to last for we have this amount of people and how long is, are we going to go before we start losing some people out because of, you know, families or jobs or that kind of stuff. I got nobody coming in to like replenish that. Neither do you. Yeah. That's the, that's the worst part. You know, it's family, my department, we'll go with my fire department's family driven. You know, we're run by four or five different families. Uh, after that, we don't have the members coming up. We don't have the, the newcomers that don't have experience into it that really want to get involved. Um, so you mentioned about like pushing the brooms and stuff. 
that's one of the things you have to anymore. The chief has to work just as hard or harder than the new pro be coming in. That's the only way that we can make this work. Yep. Yep. But we also need to let, you know, you also need to have that. You have to earn, earn trust as an officer and, and the members, new members have to earn trust as a new member. But the only way to do that is to spend time with each other, go on calls together and get to know each other. And part of the problem is with uh, from a manpower perspective, we don't run calls. Like we don't have the volume of calls to run to keep our manpower interested or to, to have that earned, you know, trust in each other because we, we just don't see that amount of calls. You may run one or two calls with that person in a year's time. That's legit, you know, like a working fire. We just don't have that. I mean, we run eight working fires a year or six working fires a year. Um, at the end of the day, that's really not a lot. You know, and we don't run smells and bells. Like we don't have a lot of fire alarms here. So the majority of it's EMS calls, um, or, or car accidents or, or public assists, you know, yeah. we're in a pretty rural area here as far as searches, that kind of stuff. So you get that, but honestly, you, it could take two, three years for somebody to really fully understand what capabilities you have or what capabilities they have. Um, so it is a, that's a struggle as well. And, you know, it's funny. I sit back and look at all the all the manpower uh, at some of these other departments, and I question, you know, how come they have so much, and what what's the difference? And honestly, it comes down to call volume. It comes down to even if it is you're running, you know, 600 calls a year, and 450 of them are fire alarms. It's still a call. It's still something to get somebody on the rig and, and go out. You know, you're still turning wheels either every day or almost every day. Um, a lot of our central PA departments that are busy now, now granted they're not rural, but, um, progress, Paxtonia, Colonial Park, Twitter Township, uh, lower Twitter Township, Middletown, all have a large, you know, base, uh, uh of volunteers and manpower. Um, you know, and, and it, it's great. One of the, one of the ones that I really like to see, uh, which is kind of a more rural setting, but they're, they're pretty busy is Grantville. Um, you know, they're, they're not directly in the city. They're more out in the country. Um, they have tanker, a tanker, rescue engine, an engine, um, a brush. Um, you know, they, they run quite a few calls a year and they have a good, good amount of manpower, good, good officers. Um, and they're, you know, it, it's nice to see that. Um, so it can happen in rural areas too, but it's the, the call volume, I think is key to that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's hard running a fire station uh we were having this talk today you know we don't run many fires we don't run a ton of incidents honestly but it takes twice to three times the amount of time behind the scenes to to keep up to those standards so you know we might run two hours worth of calls a week well we have to do six hours worth of work just to be ready for that before and after the call um i was having that discussion today fire reports they're they they take up a ton of my time mm -hmm. um you know and I, I know you're in the same boat but just doing that that takes a lot of time away from our houses and takes a lot of time a lot of more added time for us to be over there um training and, and right and we work on ways to curb that a little bit so our incident reports that we leave on the rigs we make them about as basic as basic can be um you know check boxes for the type of incident you know the box alarms the uh you know the box alarm the date all that kind of stuff and then on the back who who's on the rig and then what the narrative was i mean a simple narrative 
of how, what the incident occurred. It makes it a lot easier for me as the officer, uh, the deputy chief, the assistant chief, Catherine, lieutenant, if we're going to go in and put the reports in. It makes it a lot easier for us to, to just go through it quick and put it in. That way we don't have to go track people down and ask for updated information. So we try to make it as easy on our members as possible. And one of the things that we're also doing um, is when whoever's riding the officer's seat of the rig, whether it be a, a member, just a standard firefighter, or an officer, they're responsible for the report to put it in. And then at the end of the month, uh, the chief officers audit the reports and make sure everything's good to go before we submit it to the state. So we're kind of putting that accountability back on the member as well, because if, you know, if you're going to take the responsibility to ride the seat, then you should be the one putting the report in as well. Shouldn't be up to myself or the assistant chief who were incident commanders or not even in the area when the incident occurred. Right. Right. Now, do you do all your reports digitally? We do. Yes. But you still, uh, I don't, do you utilize tablets in your vehicles? Uh, we used to, um, we don't anymore. So we actually have a paper form that we fill out and then we submit sure. digitally for, for the reporting. Yeah. Um, yeah. so that way you can write down your notes, your information for any vehicle accidents, that kind of stuff. I gotcha. I gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. But that's where we're putting it back on the membership as well. Yeah. So we do, we do similar things. So all my chiefs have incident reports in their vehicles. Um, you know, and then of course at the station we have we have them as well. So after every call, a paper form's filled out, you know, with whatever we need to put on it. But then at the end of the month, I go through and I'll actually I'll submit the reports digitally. So which works out good. But the problem is, you know, after the scenes, then I'm there trying to do those reports and trying to do everything else that the chief's supposed to do which is all mm -hmm. fine and dandy, but when you don't have a lot of membership there to help do the day-to-day -day, uh, the day-to-day -day details or, you know, whatever you want to call them. Uh, so, like, like today, I know I was talking to you earlier, you were at your station doing stuff, we were actually out running our new hose line, which was great. We, yep. had, we had quite a few members show up for that, so we were able to actually play with the new hose, and get some experience with that we we got a little driver training in we did a little pumping we we were able to peel the cross lays off of our four and replace lines on that as well so days like that feel great when you actually have members coming around to help but then there's other days it's, to me it just seems like man it, it's tough you know i'll go work all day and then i'll have to go to the fire station and do a bunch of stuff and i don't know some days it just feels like everything comes down onto your shoulders and that's that, that gets a little old. It does. And that's why I'm trying, I'm an advocate for if, if you want the responsibility to ride the officer's seat, regardless of where, what rank you are in the fire service, then that can be something that they can shoulder to take care of. Um, and actually I had very positive feedback from almost all the members um, when we discussed this, because it was like, Hey, now we have an opportunity to, you know, it shows good faith in them. If they want to try to promote that kind of stuff, it shows that they are willing to learn and, and want to ride the seat and, you know, basically want to take that initiative to, to do it and be accountable for the, it's something simple, you know what I mean? But it, it saves us a ton of time, um, by them entering their reports and, and we just have to audit it at the end of the month. Um, so that is a, a positive thing there. Yeah, the problem I seem to be having, and I shouldn't I shouldn't call it a problem because I really appreciate 
what everybody's doing. But it seems like times I, you know, you'll get officers in and they'll say, yeah, I'll be there. I'll do the job, you know, this and that. Well, then all of a sudden you're months down the road and here you are trying to pick up and do the job yourself. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm not calling anybody out here by any means, but, but there's times where it seems like, you know, on the, on the end all be all, which I have some officers that are great help. Don't get me wrong there, but other times it seems like there's officers that uh, could pick up the slack and, you know, put in a little more effort, but in the same aspect, you know, it's a volunteer organization. Can't really expect, expect them to drop and do their time. And you can only ask them to volunteer what they can volunteer. So, so I do get that. Right. Yeah. And I see, I'm the opposite. I'm in the opposite boat um, with my family and everything I have going on, my work and everything. Um, I feel like my guys, that's how they look at me is, you know, I could step up a touch more. Um, and I am, I mean, I, I do a lot of things outside of the fire company, you know, sometimes at work I'm fielding, you know, 10 or 12 phone calls a day or, um, you know, that kind of stuff. But, you know, it, it is, it's a tough balance, um, that we run into. And I think that's, you know, part of the other problem as well with our, our manpower issues. Um, you know, we've got a lot of great people that have families and stuff and they can't be there all the time. You know, we, we communicate very well as far as sending messages out saying, Hey, we're going to be out of town for a weekend or Hey, I'm going to be out of town for a night. So that way, you know, nobody's stuck with being here by themselves or not knowing what the crew is when they, when we get a call, but we do have that fortune, you know, we're fortunate about that. You know, something as simple as just a Facebook, uh, message in a, in a group chat, you know, that's what we, how we kind of communicate with just like the, the fire company firefighters, um, you know, send a message out, Hey, I'm out of the area or Hey, we, you know, training, just a reminder. But, uh, you know, we see it where you may you may have five or six people a night that aren't available, especially in the, the fall time with football coming up, um, you know, or the summertime with baseball, softball, that kind of stuff going on. You may lose five people a night, you know, so if you have a fire, you need to really be on on top of what you have, where you have it, um, right. you know, and, and that's where the communication aspect is really important um, to make sure you know what you have um, so you're not going understaffed. Um, one of the things that we're working on, um, I'm actually going to have an officer's meeting on Monday and the things we're going to discuss is minimum, uh, staffing requirements for response. Like I'm a firm believer that you really can't operate. It's tough with three, but you definitely shouldn't be responding with two. Um, if there's only two people on the rig that the rig needs to sit and you need to go next to as, as bad as it sounds, it's more of a liability. I feel for some departments or our department than it would be for anybody else. Cause those two people, you have one driver operator and one person. Um, so not that we've had any issues, but before we have any issues, I want to set that, that precedent where, you know, minimum staffing requirements, no less than three, um, you know, unless it's a medical event, like a cardiac arrest for two people, that'd be sufficient. You're just parking the rig and going in right. with an AED and performing CPR. That's fine. But like a structure fire, vehicle accident, two people aren't going to do the job. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that makes sense. Um, you know, we're kind of in the thing. Up here, it's a little different, so it happens a lot up here. We'll have members go to the station, but our district's set up funny. So there's a lot of spots in our district where people are closer, like, we'll have to drive by the scene. Now, right. their turnout gear is kept at the fire station, but there's a lot of times where, you know, they'll message ahead or call ahead and be like, hey, I'm going to be having to drive by the scene. Will you throw my gear on the truck? 
And I used to be against that because I'm not I'm not a fan of having personal vehicles on scene. But I guess there's situations where if they're there, that's you know at least you got the manpower there, so you know that hey, okay, it's okay to respond. Right. Uh, now take we had we had that fire last year actually the night before my wedding where we were setting up for my for my wedding out there, so we had almost our whole department out there. Well then we got toned to respond to that structure fire. All of our manpower's out there. So we had one driver here at the station. We said, well, you know what? Take the truck. We've got plenty of people on scene. And that worked out good. And, and I think that's, I think that's acceptable. Right. Uh, but then, you know, another, another problem that you come into play, like I was saying about ours being basically a family driven department. A lot of times you'll get families that'll do vacation trips or going out of town. So, you're not losing just one member at a time. You're losing four or five. And for us, that's, that's critical. You know, we're going, I leave, I leave next week for a trip. That's taken two of us right out of play. And for, for my department, two people, that's, that's a big deal. Right. Yeah. And, and well, as you know, I'm leaving next week as well. Um, so, you know, part of what I look at is do we have everything we need taken care of you know i'll send a message out to all the chief officers saying hey i'll be out of the area you know the deputy chief will be in charge but you know i don't know what our staffing is going to be like if because if i'm out it's not really that big of a deal because we have a lot of people that are trained to do you know the driver operators the uh incident commanders that kind of stuff but on top of that if i'm out we get say we get two or three other people out you know we have a couple guys that work for a, a flagging company that go out to on storm damage calls so there's a big storm that runs through and they're going to be out for 12, 14, 16 hours. You know, that takes that t- it would be three of us or four of us out of the equation at that point. So, you know, it's, I, I, I kind of face the same problems that you face as far as that's concerned, but it's just, I like to update our, our mutual aid officers and say, Hey, um, you know, I'll be out of the area. If we have any issues, let me know. And then keep that communication open too. So they know, Hey, uh, there's a good high probability if the deputy chiefs of the officer on the rig, he's passing command. So, you know, wouldn't hurt to send an officer just POV to the scene. Um, that kind of stuff. Right. So, right. and we're fortunate, mm-hmm. we're fortunate here where our town legitimately can be split in half. Um, actually the road that goes to the firehouse from the two Oh nine to the fire station, water street is essentially the halfway point. So what's nice is, you know, the deputy chief and I have an understanding like, hey, if it's anything east of Water Street, I'm responding to that incident. He's going to the station. If it's anything west, he's going to the incident. I'm going to the station. So, you know, that kind of it solves a lot of problems from the manpower perspective. I don't have four or five chiefs or three chiefs and two line officers responding to the incident. Everybody knows to go to the station and get the rigs out. We have one chief officer that's going to go take command of the incident. Now it may change when you get on scene. They may have the engine officer assist with operations or, you know, interior or something along those lines. But, um, it's nice that we have that ability that we can split the town in half and the, the township and the borough in half and say, all right, you get this half, I get this half. And then if it's an incident, there you go. If it's an incident here, I go. So, yeah. I mean, that, that saves the amount of, I, I know, um, Speaking from experience, like in a northern, like up in Rowlett, um, you could have two or three officers arrive on scene and then still get rigs out. We, we can't afford that here. Right. Yeah. And, and you guys seem to operate a little different. Whereas 
most of your members are coming on apparatus up here. You'll see a lot more of those Chiefs vehicles, a lot more of those POVs showing up on scene. Yeah, and um, our regional aid chiefs even, they'll come in on the rigs and then we put them to work either, you know, uh, say if Likens comes in with their truck and we need somebody to run manpower, you know, their chief could be assigned to manpower. You know, Wickedness goes chief comes in on the tanker, he could be assigned to a water supply. Uh, and, and the nice part is, is nobody really gives you a hard time about it. Like, all right, wherever we need to go. Um, so, you know, that's, that's the nice part is working together and being able to basically uh, orchestrate a fire scene the correct way. Um, and it just, it takes working with people too. Um, you know, I know daylight around us, uh, other departments suffer from manpower shortages. One of the, um, one of our mutual aid departments actually has more manpower during the day, um, which we're fortunate for because they have a lot of people that work for the borough or, or the borough across the road from them, uh, either Likens, Likens borough or Wiccanisco borough that can all respond to fire calls during the day. So I know as an incident commander, if we're going light staff, we're going to get a rig staffed with adequate staffing coming in behind us. So that's, that's the nice part. Um, and I want to touch on a little bit. I know you said, uh, when you guys get fires, everything's full company response. Uh, same with Rowlett, same with, you know, uh, up there in Potter County, it's the same thing. If you get a mutual aid department, you, you pull specific apparatus, uh, or you don't pull specific apparatus, you pull a department. Whereas down here, we're pulling specific pieces from each department. You're not getting a full response from from the department. You're getting, so Wiccanisco, if we have a fire, we're getting engine tank or an air unit. Likens, we're getting the truck and the engine. Um, you know, we're pulling a tanker from, a tanker rescue from Elizabethville. We're pulling a tanker from Gratz. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that we're pulling, especially one piece from each department. Yeah, and I feel like that's kind of a thing where, and I think that's where we need to focus towards up here as well, because it's every department. Every department across the country, in one way or another, is experiencing the same manpower issue as we are. Mm -hmm. So, you know, instead of trying to, instead of me calling Bolivar and expecting them to roll five pieces of apparatus, you know, call them and ask for an engine and tanker out of it, and call Wells, we'll do the same, Sayo, Willing, whatever. Uh, I, I feel like that's the important thing to go is start relying more on your mutual aid companies. Be okay with them coming. Um, you know, whether you're going to have, if you're going to have your officers from the other departments jump in and help you in certain aspects, be fine with that. Yep. Uh, yeah, and it's it's nice knowing that I'm going to get staffing on the rig I request versus getting five pieces with three people on it. You know, because that then then you're you're spread out, right? So for us, it's nice knowing we're going to get a rescue that's got sufficient staffing to do, uh, you know, a first do special service job, or they're going to be interior firefighters, or you know what I mean, or uh, a truck company that's going to be full, um, coming in and and doing whatever they we know we need them to do, um, because it does it does get you know a little tricky when you pull five pieces and there's three people on it, because then you got to try to sort out what's going on and get them to do whatever they're supposed to do right? with limited right. staffing. It's a lot easier if you just get one that's full. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. That's, and I feel like that's kind of the avenue that departments need to start going towards, you know, in communities as well. Communities need to understand that during the daytime or during the evening time, whatever, there may be times where, you're not seeing every Allentown truck roll out of the scene. 
<clears throat> you know, and they got to be okay with that. They got to understand that it's hard. Everybody's trying to have their full-time life as well as doing the volunteer side, which is yep. like we've discussed, it's high demanding. Well, and, and part of it is, is they have to realize too, that, um, you know, yep. one piece out the door is better than no pieces out the door. Right. Um, we don't want people beating down the doors. Um, one of the things I think I'm, we're going to, it was suggested. And one of the things I think I'm going to do is start going maybe door to door, introducing myself and see if we can get people to be involved. Because again, it's not necessarily the interior firefighters. Yes, we need them, but we have positions for everybody in the fire service. We need support personnel. We need exterior firefighters. We need driver operators. Um, you know, even auxiliary personnel just to bring water and that kind of stuff. It, it's nice to have that. Yeah, well, that seems to be so, the hard part is getting people in the door. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't know. We've had discussions about this before, but I don't know how to I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to get more people involved or get more people interested. You're a you're in a little different situation than I am. Um, your folks are are pretty well spread out. Um, everybody kind of knows everybody. Which I, I feel like they do here as well. I'm, I'm the new guy, so they don't really know me that well. But, uh, you know, everybody kind of knows everybody up there. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. I don't know what you need to do. Try to reach out to some of your folks. I mean, one of the big things, you're, I know your social media presence is huge. Um, you guys do a really good job with your social media presence. And, uh, it, you know, I, I think a lot of people see that. Um, and I know it gets to a lot of people. I don't know if that would be an avenue to say, Hey, we're looking for help. Um, and I know, you know, we have a pretty good social media presence as well. We're trying to, you know, do a little bit better, um, and try to get more, you know, activity. But unfortunately I, I, I think, you know, we, you and I've had this, uh, this, uh, conversation. I know we've had this conversation with a lot of other people. I think our generation just lacks the volunteering aspect. Yeah, it does. Well, and I tell you, one thing that you've got going for you down there that we don't have up here is the ability to belong to more than one department. Yes. Uh, so that hurts us to a certain extent. You know, we have, say we've got Baldwin's Force Products here in town. We've got several firemen that work there that belong to companies outside of this area who we could have as members, but yep. New York State doesn't allow that, so... And I know, I know at least your department, you have at least a few members that are the same way that belong to, you know, a couple departments. Yep. Yeah. We have, we have members that are members of, well, I mean, including myself, I'm still a life member of Rollette. Um, and it's, you know, we have the ability to run at different places. Um, you know, it's nice here. Uh, if you go back and forth, so say you're a member here, you can be a member at Likens, or you can be a member at Wiccanisco. If they get an incident, you know, you're able to jump on and go with them if you're passing by or whatever. So, so I'm passing by and the firehouse down there and, you know, I hear they get a call. I'll stop in, see if they need help. You know, nine times out of 10, they're going to throw you on the rig and tell you to go. So it is nice. Um, and that's where the interoperability starts to work. Um, so that, that's something that, you know, it's good down the road. This is all going to be, you know, either regional fire companies or, something along those lines in this area, because I mean, not that we have them um, over abundance of firehouses here, but we have enough that could be, you know, a regionalized 
company in the northern part of Dauphin County and a regionalized department in the southern part of the county or just a Dauphin County regional fire company. Um, I just I see that's the way it's going. Eventually, it'll get there. Um, but the hard part is, so you guys, Potter County, they don't have the ability to do that. Your your travel distance is too far to even be feasible. Yeah. Yeah, but I feel like, you know, at least up here, I live in Allentown. I work in Wellsville. Yes, so when we get down to structure fires, both departments end up there. But there's uh, so many different calls that uh, that are involved. You know, let's say I was a member of Wellsville as well. Their calls during the day, their fire alarms you know, medical assist, et cetera, et cetera. I'd be one more person that they could have ride their trucks and then same way, vice versa, when their guys are over over this way. Right. You know, because during the day, even even Wellsville, they're a large company. They've got a lot of manpower. Uh, but still, they run into the aspect of needing more help as well. Yep. Yeah, yeah and that's... That's the that's the issue that I think um, you guys have you struggle with the most up there. We we don't really have that problem. Um, in some ways we do, but um, a lot of it is if you're close and stop in, we're gonna throw you on the rig. So, right, right. So, yeah, I think the big thing is is that we just need to, everybody needs to understand it's okay to use your mutual aid companies, and you know it's it's okay to. It's okay to expect other people to help out with that, you know, and the community needs to understand that that, you know, they might call and yes. Okay. It might be 10, 15 minutes sometimes before they see somebody respond, but they got to understand we're only people too. You know, we're not doing this as a full-time job. We've all got lives that we're trying to live on the outside of it. Yeah. And I know you're the same boat. I am. This is what we do. This is, we've been involved for a long time and we're passionate about it. So of course we don't like to have that, delayed response time we don't like to have see an engine or a tanker scratch um you know not respond to a call we don't want to it's not something we like to see by nature it happens sometimes and, and you know when you start doing it repetitively that's a problem but if it happens once in a while that's the nature of it's it's kind of life i mean it, it's uh, unpopular opinion about it i mean it's it happens I mean, I don't really, I don't like when it happens. I don't think anybody likes when it happens, but unfortunately we're all human. We're all, we all have families, we all have jobs. Um, so there's a chance that the engine might not get out and it's any, that goes for any department. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm fortunate. We, in general, we have a pretty good response time here. So knock on wood, it, it continues that way. But the problem is, is everybody's getting older, Yep. you know, and without seeing that new younger blood coming in, it's just a matter of time before some hard decisions need to be made. Right. So. Oh, interesting. Looks like uh, Rowlett just got dispatched to a first alarm structure fire. Oh, well, see, so, so there you go. You got, what time is it? 6.54. So you got people sitting around trying to eat dinner with their families. And now they got to jump up and leave the table. You know, the same thing this whole time I've been listening to Bolivar. They actually had an overdose at their fire station. The ambulance did, and they ended up needing law enforcement to get involved because they ended up with a competitive patient. But that's one of them calls where you need more than two people on it. Yep. Yep. So, so well, I yeah, think we, that, uh, 
Sorry, go ahead. No, no, you're good. Um. Anyways, I think we're almost to that hour mark, so it's about time to start wrapping this episode up. Um. But I guess yep. if anybody has any advice on what to do for the ever-shrinking membership, you know, let us know. Yeah, we see we're reaching out to people, and people are listening. Um, you know, we're we're both chief officers, and we're both looking for ways to, you know, uh, to improve our departments. And if we can, you know, if you have a suggestion or a way that you improved yours, you know, obviously we'd take it and try to do that for us. I mean, we we take just as much uh, input as what we provide. So, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and manpower shortage is a big thing. It's a huge one. I think it's probably one of the biggest that we face. So. Yep. Well, all right. Well, we're going to wrap this up. Um, I guess everybody, thank you. Thank you for continuing to listen to us. And I hope we start getting some input. Yep. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate the, uh, the listeners that we have and, if you uh, share it around and get more people to listen, then, you know, I think this benefits everybody. Yep. So, all right. Well, have a good night, everyone. And we hope to hear from you again next time. Yep. Good night, everybody.